Welcome to Right to the Point, a podcast featuring honest conversation and biblical solutions to America's cultural challenges. Hi, I'm Tim Throckmorton of LifePoint Ministries. To learn more about LifePoint and to access past episodes of Right to the Point podcast and commentary, if you'd like to support the podcast, please visit lifepointusa.org. I'm so glad you've joined us today. In this episode, I want to share a few updates. I also relate some thoughts from a recent column or two. On the update side, I am still preaching on Sunday mornings here, there, and everywhere, a few revivals along the way, in addition to my duties at the Family Research Council, and then doing pulpit supply for churches as well. I write a weekly column, which is what I'll be sharing some excerpts from in the next few minutes. And then on Saturday mornings, every Saturday morning on Facebook, coffee in a column. Join me early on Saturday mornings, wherever I am in the country. We always get that out there sometime on Saturday morning, a fresh column from that week. And then I talk about coffee because I, well, I like coffee <laughs> and it's my show so I can do that. But it's it's fun to do. And I meet a lot of great people and information about Right to the Point to podcast gets out there through that venue as well. So Right to the Point podcast now is on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, along with uh, Rumble and YouTube. So this is expanding as well. And so I, again, I want to thank all of you who invest in LifePoint Ministries, lifepointusa.org. Uh, it's continuing to expand and we appreciate that very, very much. And God is opening doors through those uh, through, through those avenues. So thank you for that. To some thoughts, and this has to do with where we are as a nation. Again, the back story of the podcast is what the Bible says about what's happening in culture. As we explore biblical solutions, biblical perspectives on what's happening in culture, it's good for us to know what the scriptures say, and that's what we're doing here uh, today. Several years ago, while in Tel Aviv, I visited Israel's Independence Hall, where at 4 p.m. on Friday, May the 14th in 1948, in what was then the Tel Aviv Museum of Art, eight hours before the termination of the British mandate, Israel became a nation. I've been in that room twice. It is a remarkable place. Those assembled listened with uh, emotion, great emotion, because their families were in jeopardy, physically in jeopardy, as they were about to do what they what they did, declaring themselves a free and independent people. David Ben-Gurion, the head of the People's Council, the Zionist executive in the Jewish uh, agency, declared the creation of the state of Israel. The museum was originally the home of Mayor Dizengoff and his wife Zena, who won lot number 43 in the land lottery there as Tel Aviv was being formed and uh, the acreage was being parsed out as a new settlement. They soon built their home there in 1909. He served as head of the neighborhood committee and later became the first mayor of Tel Aviv. The, this historical landmark serves as a reminder not only of the sheer determination of the courageous men and women of Israel who fought, defended, and are still defending their homeland to this very day, uh, but it's placed prominently, placed prominently in the foyer of the museum, one finds the words of Amos 9, 14. Amos chapter 9, verse 
number 14. I will bring back the captives of my people Israel. They shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. They shall also make gardens and eat fruit from them. It was inspiring to say the least as I looked upon the Israeli Declaration of Independence hanging there and consider this, considered the significance of those signatures and the prophetic event that that very building represents. I placed it in the perspective of not only the history of Israel, but in the perspective of our own nation's history as well. It was John Adams who said this, I will insist that the Hebrews have contributed more to civilized men than any other nation. If I was an atheist, he said, and believed in the in blind eternal fate, I should still believe that fate had ordained the Jews to be the most essential instrument for civilizing the nations. They are the most glorious nation that ever inhabited the earth. The Romans and, and their empire were but a bubble in comparison to the Jews. They have given religion to three quarters of the globe, he wrote, and have influenced the affairs of mankind and, and more happily than any other nation, ancient or modern. The, rebel, the relevance, however, to the nation of Israel is found also in the words of Benjamin Franklin, who in the year 18, or excuse me, in the year 1787, 1787, as delegates were assembled in Philadelphia to construct a document we know today as the Constitution of the United States of America, the weather was hot, they were about to adjourn for the day, and Ben Franklin stood to address the assembly. Among other things, he said this, we indeed seem to fill our own want of political wisdom. Some, we have been running about in search of it. We've gone back to ancient history for models of government and examined the different forms of those republics, which having been formed with the seeds of their own dissolution now no longer exist. And and we have viewed modern states all around Europe, but find none of their constitutions suitable to our circumstances. So what did the founders rely upon for the framing of our nation's government? Let's just let them tell us. John Adams again said the general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. I will avow that I then believe and now believe that those general principles of Christianity are as eternal and immutable as the existence and attributes of God. Noah Webster said the religion which has introduced civil liberty is the religion of Christ and his apostles. This genuine Christianity and to this we owe our free constitutions of government. Even our Congress in 1854 stated, had the people during the revolution had a suspicion of any attempt to war against Christianity, that revolution would have been strangled in its cradle. He goes on, in this age, there can be no substitute for Christianity. That was the religion of the founders of the republic, and they expected it to remain the religion of their descendants. So why is this little sliver of land in the Middle East situated right there amongst all of these nations who want to wipe them from the face of the earth. Why is it so relevant to us as Americans? Because there, from there, and what happened there over 2,000 years ago, we as a nation found the direction, the principles, and the inspiration to begin an experiment that still stands today, the United States of America. 
and for the sake of Israel, for the sake of our nation, and for the sake of what lies ahead, we must never forget that. That's our rich heritage. That's where we where we came from. Many ask me, well, how did we get where we are now? How did we get to this place? It didn't happen overnight. In fact, recently there was an article in the Washington Times by Joseph R. Murray II. He wrote this. He said, in 1922, when Mussolini took Rome, a young Italian Marxist fled to the only place he might feel welcome, Soviet Russia. One would think that Antonio Gramsci, now in Lenin's paradise, would be happier than a pig in a poke, but he was not even close. Gramsci saw that the Bolshevik resolution had won the obedience of the Russian people, but it had not won their hearts. He recognized that while many publicly converted their hearts, remained with the faith of their fathers, Orthodox Christianity. This led Gramsci to conclude that the West would never be dethroned if Christianity remained strong and influential. Murray continues, the civilized world has been roughly saturated with Christianity for 2,000 years. Gramsci said, as he made it clear that the only way Marx would win the day <clears throat> is if the roots of Christianity were pulled. But how do you erase 2,000 years of history and tradition? To be rid of Christianity was not like deposing a king or a, a queen. It was, it was literally changing a nation's DNA. So how would one Italian Marxist in exile crack the shield of the West? Here's the word, slowly. And for those who look at the current state of affairs in our nation and our culture, and ask me, how did we get here? It's, it's good to remember this did not happen overnight. It happened slowly. Now, I've written about this often in my weekly column, and you can go to lifepointusa.org, and you can look under Tim's blog. You can find all of my past columns there, and, and I, I, I dig as deep as I can into this. But for the sake of our conversation today, let me, let me look to a quote from a book called The Death of the West by Patrick J. Buchanan. He said, rather than seize power first and impose a cultural revolution from above, Gramsci argued Marxists in the West must first change the culture. Is this not where we are today? Think of this. Drag queens provide story time to elementary students while, while the public is bitterly divided as to whether children should be prescribed puberty blockers and undergo sexual reassignment surgery. All the while, Columbus, Christopher Columbus, is viewed as a genocidal maniac, and the founding fathers, by virtue of slavery, have forever tainted the nation, some say. Should we be surprised that a record low number of Americans aged 18 to 34, 18% of them, only 18% are proud to be American? Throughout America's storied history, worthy wordsmiths endowed with a hearty sense of awareness have sounded forth the clarion call with great, with great poise to appreciate and recognize just what a special place we have to call home here, this United States of America. According to the Population Reference Bureau and the United States Census data, over 99% of all recorded humanity has never experienced the freedoms we have enjoyed and do enjoy here and now in America. In his first inaugural address, January the 20th, 1981, President Ronald Reagan 
shared a brief poignant warning from Dr. Joseph Warren, the, the, the president of the Massachusetts Congress in the 1700s. He said, our country is in danger, but not to be despaired of. On you depend the fortunes of America. You are to decide the important question upon which rests the happiness and the liberty of millions yet unborn. Act worthy of yourselves. Tom Malone, in the objective standard, describes the occasion Dr. Warren spoke those words. He said it was March 6, 1775, and an immense crowd gathered at the Old South Meeting House in Boston to commemorate the Boston Massacre of 1770. Thousands attended. Inside was standing room only. More than 40 British troops showed up, and rumor had it they would arrest or assassinate the orator. Which was, um, which was who Reagan quoted there, Dr. Joseph Warren. It was on a difficult day and a challenging season of our nation's history. Those words rang out. They could have been spoken this past week and found themselves immensely appropriate. Over a long period of time, fueled by un-American and anti-biblical forces, America has drifted from its moorings. It might be worth observing just for a second or two that drifting requires no effort. <laughs> Let me say that again. Drifting drifting requires no effort. Stop rowing a boat and you'll clearly see how this works. It'll begin to drift. Perhaps that's why the Hebrew writer warned, therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression received just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Drifting also can be an unconscious process. <laughs> it is possible to drift and not be aware you're drifting. I remember what Dennis Kinlaw once said, it's tragic to not know Jesus, but it's more terrifying to picture the soul that thinks they have God and does not. Remember, when a Christian begins to drift, it starts slowly. It doesn't take any effort, and it's, it's something you don't even realize is happening. Lastly, I want to point out that drifting never takes you upstream. It always takes you downstream. You always go down. You never get closer to God. You go farther away. Faithlessness takes you there, but faithfulness to the Lord requires an effort on our part. You must be constantly adding to your faith. Pastor Peter said, but grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Don't drift. Stay focused. And stay faithful. Dr. B.J. Miller once said, it's it's a great deal easier to do that which God gives us to do, no matter how hard it is, than to face the responsibilities of not doing it. As a nation, as a community, as a church, or a family, as an individual, we must guard against the drift. And everybody said, amen. Well, let me just close up by saying th these these commentaries that uh, we produce, the podcast, first of all, that is filled with conversation about issues, uh, whether we're talking about Israel, whether we're talking about America, whether we're talking about our culture, we're bringing a biblical perspective to that, and we're sharing that. We invite you to share those as well through whatever medium you're watching this. 
the, the weekly column has a impact, not just in the newspapers that publish it throughout the Midwest, but on Saturday morning, hundreds of people each week join me for coffee in a column. And beyond that, there is the right to the point radio commentary. And if you've, if you've never heard that, it's available. You can hear some of those at the lifepointeusa.org website. You can check them out there on a number of radio stations around the country as well. Just a one-minute piece based on the columns that I write each week. And then you can share these printed or written pieces that we put together every week as well. However you do it, please, let's make sure that folks understand the church has a role to play. We're not just to stay in our churches. We're to influence the culture God's placed us in. God has entrusted you and I with the stewardship of this moment in history. And as my friend Talmadge Johnson likes to say, and I quote often, the world at its worst needs the church at its best. So thank you. Thanks for being a part of LifePoint Ministries. Thanks for joining me for the Right to the Point podcast. Thanks for sharing this. Uh, to learn more about LifePoint and to access past episodes of the Right to the Point podcast and commentary. And if you'd like to support the podcast, please visit LifePointEUSA.org. Tim Throckmorton's my name. Thank you for joining me for this edition of Right to the Point See you next time. God bless you. Stay in love with the Lord and in love with one another. Bye now.